Welcome to the White Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? Hello, Marie. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Today is Thursday, 12-21-2023. Where did this year go? Into the past. It's funny, like as, as dominating as COVID was for 2019 to essentially 2022, it's in the rearview mirror now. And I think this year was a year of reset. And I think we were so happy to get outside and get back to normalcy that we didn't live in the moment necessarily. And I think when you don't do that, time flies. When you're not aware of what's going on around you necessarily, you're trying to make up for lost time. The years go by. I guess for me, I don't think COVID is over. I think we're going to have constant strains, but I do think the days of being locked down are behind us. And even myself, as we know, I was very frightened by COVID. I'm even going out to dinner with people. I completely agree. COVID is now endemic. It's a part of everyday life. And I, I think for me, it's almost like going through the stages of grief. I think for 2021, 20, 22, I was so tense and focused on fighting everything that now I feel like I'm going through a different phase of processing what happened, if that sounds crazy. It makes perfect sense. It's not crazy at all. I feel like it I'm was, crashing. Well, possibly. COVID was the most significant global public health crisis since 1918. We were talking about over 100 years ago. So it stands to reason that people are just kind of bugging out and now they're getting back to a sense of normalcy. And that takes a period of transition. And as I said, for me, I feel like I'm just crashing this year because I was not, I'm not comparing myself to health workers, but as you know, I was you know, in store 2020, 2021, 2022. And it was a very odd dynamic and you're in a constant state of tension. And now I feel like I can catch my breath, but I feel like I'm kind of crashing at the same time. And I think that's a reasonable thing, a reasonable experience to have. I think it's a great reset that we're experiencing. I am obviously masked at my job and a woman probably my age, maybe a little older. She's like, do they make you wear a mask? I said to her, no, they don't. I said, but not everyone has a million days sick time either. Right. It's interesting that, you know, not too long ago, we'd see images coming out of the Asian countries, whether it's Korea or Japan, China. And in those societies, it's very normal for people that when they're sick, as a courtesy to others, to mask up. It's interesting to see how so many of us now are practicing that either out of concern for others or perhaps disdain for others. You know what I mean? that we don't trust our fellow Americans or fellow citizens. So we don the ma- we don the mask and we try to protect ourselves from other people that maybe not so, that perhaps are not so considerate. Yeah, and I've just, I just, I don't like being scolded because I think it goes back to the Trump dynamic of- Yeah, I mean, those are political. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you cannot wear a mask without being verbally or psychologically accosted, You're dealing with someone who's fighting the culture wars in a very rational way. You have every right to take whatever precautions you need to keep yourself safe. They don't know your story. How does she know you're not immune compromised? How does she know you're not 
going through cancer treatment. And irrespective of those more serious maladies, it's none of her business. And yeah. I think I think we need to respect those boundaries. I think people think I'm a gentle creature until they poke me. That very well might be the case. And I think we just need to get back to a place where you can live your life and you're literally not harming anyone. And it's not, it doesn't need to be misconstrued as some sort of political statement, you know, and as an affront to um, someone's belief system. Just imagine if every time you walk down the road uh, and you're wearing a crucifix, Muslim person jumps out and told you off or if you're a Muslim woman and if every time you walk down the street someone accosts you because you're wearing the hijab which is actually more likely to happen than the other way around we just have to get to get back to a place of living and let live and I think our society would be better for that however having said all that what is the topic of today's discussion Marie? One of my favorite topics St. Nicholas, otherwise known as Santa Claus. Yay! As we know, your birthday is in December, and didn't your beautiful mother name you after Santa Claus? She certainly did, old St. Nick. And your middle name is Isley for the Isley Brothers, but that's another podcast. That is, yes. And more importantly, if, unless I'm wrong, today is our 50th podcast. It certainly is. It's a Yay! major milestone for us. I should have brought champagne. We could have toasted. Pop that cork. You ready? Let's do it. How much do you think you know about St. Nicholas? I don't think you know anything. Um, I know some stuff. Mm-hmm. Correct me where I'm wrong, right? So my understanding of old St. Nick, it's that it has its origin in St. Nicholas, a Turkish monk or saint, something along those lines, who is renowned for his generosity and his largesse towards children and the community and then it kind of evolved from there uh, how close am i close i have to be honest doing research there's a lot of interpretations about santa claus i definitely went to the history channel um wow is that you making fun of me no i'm impressed I, i'm not mocking you i'm actually impressed you you really put in the work i have to be honest you know i love christmas I love all things Santa Claus. And we'll start because we do have to. Did you open the images I sent you of all the different Santa Clauses? Yes. Santa Claus, otherwise known as St. Nicholas or Kris Kringle. I don't like the Kris Kringle moniker. It's yeah, disrespectful. It does sound a little creepy, doesn't it? I don't like it. Kris Kringle I, lives in a van down by the river. It's kind of like in Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, but I still don't like it. I'm very specific about my Santa Clauses. I like them very Victorian. Okay, now I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. It's what you do. Today, he is thought of mainly as the jolly man in red who brings toys to good girls and boys on Christmas Eve. But his story stretches all the way back to the third century when St. Nicholas walked the earth, I didn't know this, and became the patron saint of children. Right. I guess I got that part kind of right. Yeah, I'm not giving you any credit. Yeah, you never do. Santa Claus, also, as we said, known as, you know, Nicholas. Over the years, Nicholas' popularity spread and became known as a protector of children as and sailors, which I thought was random. I never heard the sailors part. That's novel to me. His feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, which is December 6th. 
This was traditionally considered a lucky day to make larger purchases or to get married. Did not know that. By the Renaissance, your mom was onto something. By the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. This part I found fascinating even after the Protestant Reformation. When the veneration of saints began to be discouraged, St. Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, especially in Holland. Why Holland? Does your research explain why? No, it just said that, you know, through Holland it did. But I guess my bigger question is, I didn't, and I know you did because I make fun of you because you went to Villanova, but not to get too heavy into it, but what a quick, can we have a quick synopsis on the Protestant Reformation? Yeah, I think it's had to do with a split from the Catholic tradition. Uh, Martin Luther, you know, in the 95 Theses and that split that took place established the Roman Catholic branch of Christianity and a newly emerged Protestant branch of Christianity. And it's from that branch, you know, you get the Baptists, the Anglicans, essentially all the, the traditional churches outside of the Roman Catholic Church and of course the Greek Orthodox Church and that's another split. So Christianity is fractured. So that is my understanding of how that came about. Is Saint that Nick you know the, the Protestants thought that the Catholic Church was essentially corrupt. Are you Catholic bashing again? It's what I do. It's what I do, girl. Saint Nicholas made his first inroads into American popular culture towards the end of the 18th century. In December 1773 and again in 1774, a newspaper, a New York newspaper reported that a group of Dutch families had gathered to honor the anniversary of his death. That's very interesting. So I was always under the impression that the tradition, well, no, maybe I'm thinking about Christmas itself, um, that it had its, it came through the German immigrants I you were correct that. about that. Okay, okay. So so there are parallel things happening at the same time. Is that that's what you're saying? Correct. I really wanted to do a podcast on the history of the Christmas tree, which has its German origins along with Christmas. We're talking straight up Saint Nick. All right, let's keep it Saint Nick. The name Santa Claus evo evolved from Nick's Dutch nickname, which is Sinterklaas, a shortened form of Saint Nicholas, and they spell it N-I-K-O-L-A-A-S, Dutch for St. Nicholas, which I think is cool. I like that. Yeah. In I 18 had no idea that the Dutch were so instrumental in our concept of Santa Claus. This is actually a very interesting discovery for me. Yeah, I was really interested when I was doing my research. In 1804, John Pintard, a member of the New York Historical Society, distributed woodcuts of St. Nicholas at the Society's annual meeting. The background of the engraving now familiar Santa images, including stockings with toys and fruits hung over a fireplace. Pretty much the Dutch brought it all pretty much prepackaged and dropped it on our doorsteps. Correct. And I will thank them. Yeah, I mean, it's a business. I think even atheists, non-religious people appreciate the, the warmth of Christmas. I don't reject it. I for me, it's a beautiful time of year. Now we're going to switch a little to probably a genre we're more familiar with is shopping mall Santas. <laughs> All right. Because you give America something and they tend to destroy it. And they commercialize it and turn it into a consumable product. Yeah, for capitalism. We win. 
stores began to advertise Christmas shopping in 1820. And by the 1840s, newspapers were creating separate sections for holiday advertisements with which often featured images of the newly popular Santa Claus. I love it. Where this is interesting because we're all about Philadelphia. In 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop, yay Philly, to see a life-size Santa Claus model. It was only a matter of time before stores began to attract children and their parents with the lure of a peek at a live Santa Claus. Did you and ever that, go see Santa? I did. I think when I was a little kid, my mom took me to, I think, Macy's. Macy's had a Santa and you could take your photo with them. I need specifically, was it King of Prussia Macy's or Springfield? I was almost certainly King of Prussia Macy's for us. Do you us. have a photo? I don't, not that I can remember. Um, oh, I can't imagine when, baby when, Nick on Santa's lap. Yeah, I think when I first came here, when I was probably about 10 years old, my mom took me to see uh, Santa at the King of Prussia Mall. I think and I'm going to Do you cry. remember Santa used to have his... I, I haven't really been to the shopping malls much, but... It's terrible. They, at King of Prussia, there was a there's a large Santa and these elves and workshops um, station in kind of like in the center of the mall. Do you know if that still is still happening? I'm sure it is. But the other thing that Philadelphia had going on too was at the department stores, whether it be John Wanamaker, Strawbridge and Clothier. Strawbridge and Clothier back in the day had the Dickens Village... Yeah. And of course, the Wanamaker still has, you know, they still have the, you know, the organ and, all, you know, John Facenda doing the narration. Philadelphia really has, I'm not going to compare it to New York, but they really have that Victorian driven Santa experience, which I personally enjoy. Well, you know, if you think about it, especially along the main line here, I mean, there is this tradition of this uh, white Protestant Anglo-Saxon cultural heritage so it stands to reason that you you would see those victorian elements on display throughout the christmas season and this is a random sidebar but i am watching a show on uh max formerly known as hbo called the gilded age and it's really fascinating to me looking at the dates of things that were happening and i've my sister and i have talked about this we socialized with mainline fancy people that were prominent. Their parents were of the Gilded Age era. So a lot of that came over. It still was around in the 70s and 80s, really till the mid 2000s. And there, there was still that Gilded Age Victorian presence in our, you know, Absolutely. in our community here. Philadelphia has a tradition of uh, old world connections, you know. Agreed. To- the Philadelphia elites, as it were, in the midst of them where we live, families that do trace their legacy and their lineage all the way back to the upper class of England and Scotland. And on the podcast, there is a family they keep referring to that's the Drexel family. They obviously founded the university. And it's so strange because my aunt was best friends with the Drexel. And I just remember being around her as a young girl. And this is the whole horse type of, but that, you know, and I didn't know who I was talking to, but she was an heir to the Drexel fortune, but you never knew it. But there was still that Victorian feeling that 
as I said, I have an affinity for, and you can still feel it in Philadelphia. Definitely. There is there is absolutely a, a tradition of that kind of, forgive me, but that sort of the, that cold patrician facade, I think that you find so interesting. I don't love it, but I find it interesting to learn about. I didn't like okay. living with, because also some of our behavior, especially the era I grew up in, was confusing as someone who was on the cusp of that Victorian, that's, you know, that starkness from the Catholic Church. But by the time I was really a little more cognitive of what was happening, I didn't know who to be because there were so many options at that point. Right. F- feminism was taking over. So I have an interest in it, but I didn't like always being surrounded by its uh, its formality. Right. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. And I think it, it does feel a bit stuffy. Perhaps the most iconic department store Santa is Kris Kringle in the 1947 classic Santa Claus movie, Miracle on 34th Street. Did you ever see that? No. Of course. Uh, really? It's, I mean, come on. It's on TBS. It's in their 24-hour block. It's, it's that and a Christmas story. Do you still watch TBS? I don't still watch it, but I remember when I was a little kid, you couldn't... Oh, yeah, you're you right. Couldn't, you couldn't avoid it. Uh, the Christmas story, Miracle on 34th Street... It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. I was going to ask the one with Jimmy Stewart. And the one with George Clooney's, is it his aunt or his mom? Oh, White Christmas. White Christmas. Rosemary Clooney. May she rest in peace. Yeah, those were on rotation pretty much now. Because, I mean, we're the week before Christmas. A young Natalie Wood played a little girl who believes Chris Kringle, played by Edmund Gwynn, who won an Oscar for the role. I didn't know that. Did not know that. I'm going to watch it. When he says he is the real Santa Claus miracle on 34th Street was remade in 1994 and starred Lord Richard Attenborough and Mara Wilson. I like the old school miracle on 34th I do. Street. I, I still remember the scene where uh, she pulls on his beard to see if it's real. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to watch that today. The Macy Santa, because now we're getting back into department stores, appeared every Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Guess what? Since 1924. So it's a hundred year. Next, Next year. year will be a hundred years and fans of all ages still line up to meet Macy's Santa in New York and its stores around the country where children can take pictures on Santa's lap and tell them what they want for Christmas. I understand retail is a tough business and a lot of these um, legacy department stores are slowly petering out of existence. But whatever replaces Macy's, I hope that they hold on to some of these traditions. I can't believe you're saying that because you're no, so not I'm traditional. But like, think about that old John Juan, John Juan Maker store. You know, that's down the street from us. How absolutely beautiful it was, you know, with the giant uh, cast bronze eagle and the organ. And it was just a beautiful space. And now it's a giant, a giant. shopping market. <laughs> and the old giant. And... It's bed, you know, and Bed Bath and Beyond, and that closed. And I think for me, and I think you could agree with me, I wish we had taken. I wish there was a more hysterical preservation through photographs of Strawberry Clothier downtown, the one in Suburban Square, the John Wanamakers in Wynwood. They was a very magical time, and I don't think they were given the respect they were due at the time. I mean, I guess this might be a bit overstated, but like these places were like shrines of commerce. It's, it's a secular place, you know. I'm not trying to suggest that these were worthy I, of, 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 or had any sort of like the divine element to it. But from a purely secular 
consumerist perspective, which is a major aspect of what it means to be an American. I mean, the American dream is essentially about being able to buy stuff. You know, these department stores were, you could think of them as shrines of commercialism and, and shrines to consumerism. I know, in and the I same way, think... like the old, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. In no. the same way, the old cathedrals of Europe were shrines to Christian faith. They were ornate and grand and kind of solemn. In, in, in their own way, these old department stores were these grand temples of buying stuff you don't need. Well, but also, too, that a lot of them were built during the Gilded Age. Yes. And so there was, I think, an expectation of... I mean, the, the concept of the department store 100 years ago or so was still maybe a little bit more than that. Um, a brand a brand new concept, the idea that you can walk into one sort of edifice and essentially be able to get everything you could possibly want. There's something uh, I saw online, either online or, or an advert, how America became a consumerist culture. And it wasn't by accident. It was actually engineered. In the same way that, you know, we have a national highway system that was engineered by civil engineers to connect the states and it was thought out and with all these contingencies, the way we consume in the United States, that was a product of Madison Avenue. I can't remember the name of the guy that did it, but the way we consume Christmas to make it relevant to this conversation, you had very smart, sophisticated people that designed or at least directed our attitudes to what it means to enjoy Christmas. And I'll stop speaking. Oh my God, I fell asleep. Are you done? Oh Lord. Speaking of this, I think that you and I are going to do a podcast about Strawbridge and Clothier. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do the research, let's have the conversation. Because I think they're important. It's again, wanting to build up what Philadelphia used to be. I know it can't be everything it used to be, but I think we can capture that feeling with the new generation. Right, and some of those business models are just not sustainable. Um, to hold a, uh, to have a massive, you know, 200,000 square foot building with back stock and inventory. And I mean, think about the old Strawbridge building, you, you know, since you went there, it had a paint shop, it had a plumber shop, it had an electrical shop. It was a self-contained, almost like a mini city where the workers would all maintain the building internally. I mean, God, for we both know where we work together. I think when you and I were there, we still had display people. Yes, you had people that would dress the display windows and they would actually dress the store and and there were departments for, there's art department. There was like a major art department. I think the art department, I forget the name of the lady who was the last one there, but Diane. she had, yes. And she had her crew of, of workers and these people would come in during the holidays and they would reset the display cases. You know, all those things, it's interesting. All those things that I think if you're a millennial are kind of almost passe. I, I wouldn't say it's completely gone, but the idea of walking by these ornately dressed uh, Christmas display showcases. Um, do you still see that anywhere? I think possibly in New York, they still, not everyone, but like um, like a Saks Fifth Avenue right. had a huge display, but I don't think actually Dior and Wisely paid, I'll have to send you a picture of it, a beautiful display of a clock right on Fifth Avenue. It's absolutely gorgeous. But I don't think that magic 
is outside of New York anymore, possibly in L.A., but definitely not in Philadelphia. It's gone. I mean... I still remember being a little kid and going by these windows and, you know, you had the fake frost around the window and the fake snow and the sleds, the the mannequin of little children, you know, like family. It it, it was almost like a diorama. They were that uh, intricate. And as as much I have a long history, as you did somewhat, of working, you know, I've been working for local department stores since my mid-20s. So it's so weird, the respect I have from the history I have of them, my interest in them. And when the one that we both worked at finally closed, it was creepy as I was part of the breaking down of the building. Yeah. And I remember having to go into the display department and I didn't even, to be honest, I don't think as a regular associate, I was ever back in display because everything was so like secretive and- Everyone had stayed in their lane. Yep. Uh, you're in cosmetics, you sell cosmetics. You're in the art department, you you dress the store. And I remember sitting in on the meetings and you know these department meetings or interdepartment meetings, I, I think is perhaps more accurate. And it was running those stores was a major undertaking. They're miniature cities. Yeah, it really was. It wasn't a simple matter of, like if you were a store manager, even before I started working in retail, I can imagine being a store manager, like for the Philadelphia store, it was almost like a military operation. You had to coordinate with the maintenance guys. You had to coordinate with the painters. You had to coordinate with the engineers to make sure that building is, is functioning property and the electricians and all the subcontractors. You had to make sure that there was approval for the displays with the art department. You had to make sure that the departments were properly staffed and inventoried. Um, Merchandise. It was a major undertaking. And I remember just being in the stores during Christmas. Suburban Square. You should remember this. You used to have a Santa that was in the middle of the shopping plaza and they would bring reindeer about. Oh my God, you're, I remember him upstairs more With than the anything. Fake snow. They're actually, not fake snow, they brought in real snow. They, they trucked in real snow where the fountain. <laughs> If you're ever in Suburban Square, where the fountain, I guess it still is. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm thinking you're saying inside of Strawberries and Slash Macy's 100%. But yes, they brought in real reindeer with snow and they brought in, you know, uh, hay for the reindeer to eat. And Santa would be there all day. And I think they would have like little elves and uh, Santa's helpers and you could get hot chocolate. It was a major undertaking. What year did that stop? I don't know. I, 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 I'm thinking it's got to be early 2000s, right? Does it sound yeah. about right to you? Because you... So we're talking, we're talking real, realistically, we're talking almost 15, maybe 20 years ago. So it's a, you know, a long time. I forgot all about that because, oh my God, you're right with all the reindeer and... Yeah. Do you know if the, do you know if the local fire department still do the Santa trucks or the Santa fire trucks where they go around, you know, with Santa on the truck with the, uh, the sirens going? giving our uh, candy cane to kids. Do they still do that? I know that where I live does. I don't know about Lower Merriam, but the t- obviously the shopping center I work in now, you know where I work right across the street was Lululemon. They Suburban Square was very smart. Lululemon closed and moved and they made it a winter wonderland. So it's Santa and Mrs. Claus are there every Saturday before the holiday. But again, like the real world, real world broke in because when Santa was there, a UPS driver came in and, you know, I tend to be friendly with everyone. 
And he goes, you know, the Santa people are yelling at me. I can't make deliveries. I was like, this isn't what Christmas is supposed to be like. The next week they closed the gate. They had to figure it out. And they had a beautiful truck. Santa got off the truck, came in. It was magical. There was like lines around the building. No, that's that's wonderful. And maybe this word is too strong. As sacred as our memories of the past and the connection we had with the the Santa, um, the Santa of our memories. Underneath it all is just rank consumerism. It's just capitalism at its finest. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I think it's important for us to understand that they both coexist. You know, one exists because of the other in our contemporary culture. What does it mean to have Santa in the 21st century where America is becoming more and more secular, less and less religious? And I, I mean, think people are starting to become disenchanted with the American dream because they're starting to realize the American dream essentially would will require you to put yourself in massive amounts of debt. Agreed. And that's the sad side of it. And even where I'm employed, we're not allowed to do anything that looks like any holiday. I'm not allowed to say Merry Christmas to anyone. I don't even... I miss it. I miss the days of being at Macy's. I miss wrapping gifts. Yeah, I, do you remember you used to be able to allow, even uh, you you were allowed to wear Santa hats during yep. the holidays? We have no reference to anything that could offend anyone at all. Right. And I do respect that. I totally understand where that's coming from because, you know, who feels it knows it. And if you're part of a culture that's always uh, being punched down on, I, I get it. I get it. Um, but it's it's kind of the 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 way the world works is that everything has its time and then it's no more and then transitions to something else yeah and you know i do i just don't even say happy holidays which kind of makes me sad because that's kind of that communicative thing that this is the same experience we're having as humanity but no one says you know happy holidays and i have to say that no one has used the word christmas to me in a few years now yeah. Happy holidays covers everything. Yeah. And to be fair, though, to be fair, I mean, we live in a, in a community where there are a lot of um, Jewish people and a lot of Christian people and uh, a large African-American population, a decent portion of which um, are Muslim. Correct. Or they don't celebrate uh, traditional uh, Christian holidays. So it's a recognition of the diversity of that is now defining our lives. It's absolutely a recognition of that diversity that is in many ways our strength. And I think if you're too attached to the past, you fail to recognize what, you know, these different communities bring to the table. And I know many people that when I mentioned to them, I'm not allowed to say Merry Christmas, they get very deeply offended. I said, well, you're living in a different bubble. I don't live in a bubble. It's a different reality. It's a, a bubble. Bubble, Bubble. I think, is a great thing. Because I think we all live in bubbles. I think some of us don't recognize that we live in bubbles. And I think if you do, then you're open to the possibility that there are things you don't know and things you don't understand about the way other people live their lives. And I think that's important to be a conscious member of society. So how should we wrap up our Santa discussion? Well, basically, you know, Santa Claus became sadly a consumer product he was depicted as flying from home to home on christmas eve to deliver toys to children which i don't think was his initial 
meaning. It was right. more spiritual. Again, right. exactly what you said. Can you name all of the reindeer? Not a chance. Donner, he- Blitzen, and Rudolph. Comet, Cupid. All right, I'm over you. He flies on his magic sleigh, led by his reindeer, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, and of course, the most important reindeer of all, Rudolph. And that's where it gets more commercial. Santa Santa enters each home through the chimney. This is why the Christmas stockings are empty. But again, it's to put products that people are buying into people's stockings. Yes. And I think, you know, just to tie into, you know, one of the threads that we we sort of pulled on is that so much of what we find to be sentimental, it's just about people buying stuff. And yes, there is an aspect of it, especially for children, um, trying to give them a special feeling, uh, a special experience uh, throughout the holidays. But I, I think I think we need to look at ourselves going forward. You know, this is not perhaps for this um, discussion, but I think we one day should do, as I as I was mentioning, a a podcast on consumerism, the the benefits and the and the and the downside, because our celebration of Santa Claus and our um, sort of these nostalgic yearnings that we have for years gone by or days gone by. Um, in so many ways, yes, it was this beautiful concept of this warm-hearted, kind soul. Um, but it was also about stuff. And they both exist together, the, 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 the sublime and the profane. I agree. And I think for me, two things. We're in a generation now um, where I have lined up girls between 10 and 13 years old literally buying skincare for someone that's 25. They are lined around my building because they're being driven by a different consumerism now, which is TikTok. Right. So that constant image, which was kind of cute, like the last year, I was like, oh, this is cute. I think now it's turning into a concerning brainwashing where I had my Sears catalog. And it's, it's just a different form of brainwashing. Agreed. It's just a different form of brainwashing. Who's your sponsor this week, Marie? I have one more thing to say. Oh, I'm sorry. But I think for me, the nostalgia for Christmas is missing my mother and her beautiful smile, her excitement over the holiday and her the joy that she brought to the world. And that's the sublime element yep. of Santa Claus and the holidays and what Christmas mean. Yeah, it's it's what Christmas means. It, it's all it's fundamentally about the people. Yes, the presents are nice. They're they're the icing, but Deep down, it's about the meaningful connections that we have with each other. Her excitement over everything was from started from Christmas. It was the tree. It was all the little things that went on. It's the joy that she brought to the universe is what I miss. And that was the ultimate gift. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. So our sponsors, we're going to sponsor both of our sponsors. It's Christmas. In in the spirit of giving. (laughs) (laughs) And consumerism. Exactly. First, the shop on Market Street, which is the premier barber shop in Westchester. Couple days out, if you need your special haircut before the holiday, if not, reach out after the new year. 134 134 East Market Street, Westchester, Pennsylvania. 
please follow them on Instagram. Is that where you can chat with them on their private chat and also make appointments? And also the Delco Ale House in Springfield. Please support them. They're busy now. I just talked to my niece. You know, the sports are really amping up, even though the Eagles are doing terrible. <laughs> you know, they're all, sl- you know, they're doing great. They are in Springfield, Delaware County. Please follow them on Instagram. Reach out. They do. You can do pickup orders, but also just go in and say hello. They are about that sense of community. Both of our sponsors. They want you to stop in and say hello. You can Instagram, follow them on Instagram or special chat them. They want to see people in person so we can, you know, both acknowledge what and honor what both businesses are about, which is building the sense of community. And it goes on from my mother to my nieces and God bless everyone. Yes. And can we agree in the spirit of Christmas, follow these people online. Do not follow them in real life. Agreed. Now I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) I'll cut that part out. All right. Marie, but, Merry Christmas to you. Congratulations to us on our 50th Yay! Uh, podcast. Damn, I and, would have brought champagne. Well, maybe for the 100th. How's that? It's a date. And we will be on break until after Christmas. But please make sure to follow us on Instagram at The White Bikini. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. Yay. Bye. And we're back.